let me first of all thank you guys for coming out today. It's good to see so many of you braving the, the elements and the uh, COVID and everything else going on in our world and coming here to, to join us in worship. And uh, thank you for coming to Redwood and joining us today. And my name is Matt, for any of you who don't know me. And I don't think I see anybody in here I don't recognize. But I'm the associate pastor here at Redwood. Um, I get the privilege uh, of preaching to you once in a while. And I wanted to take a moment. One of my ministries, my main ministry been lately my main ministry, is the Lord's Storehouse Food Pantry. And through this whole coronavirus pandemic, everything going on, um, the storehouses remained open, and, and we've had an amazing opportunity to serve our community. Um, we've heard, I've heard from um, some of our volunteers and others that we have one of the best food pantries in the valley. And at the food pantry, where, or the food bank where we pick up Josephine County Food Bank, they remind me all the time that um, it's a pleasure when our team comes in to pick up food. And so I just want to take a moment and ask anybody who has ever helped or is currently helping in the storehouse to raise their hand. And now let's give them a round of applause. It's, uh, it is an amazing ministry. I, I really do enjoy it, and it is impacting our community, um, which is really what we're here for, right? I did hear, though, that there may have been some birthdays this week. Anybody raise a hand if they had a birthday this week? Oh, looky there. Yes, Charlie turned 38, something like that. Yeah, 38 with, a, with about 12 more years on there. So if you guys get a chance, give him a, a handshake and a pat on the back and keep your six feet from him and wish him a happy birthday. Well, I do, uh, I do have to say I enjoy being here. I love seeing you guys' faces. Um, we are, as Oli reminded us, social creatures, and God created us to be in, in healthy, intimate, personal relationships, and um, it's really good to be together face-to-face, even if we do have to keep some distance and and some of us cover up due to uh, problems with health and and other issues, but uh, it is a pleasure to be here and to see so many of you. We um, started this series a few weeks ago called Now What?, right? The idea being that we took a break for a while from meeting together, um, not in the building, but still being the church, and um, and as we're getting back together, this is kind of a reminder of of who we are as a church and and, uh, what we're to be doing. Um, Kurt started this uh, series off with gathering, right? That we are the body of Christ. We, um, we gather together for worship. We gather together for encouragement, for edification, and for equipping so that we can be out there in the world living for Christ. Second week, he talked about worship, right? Worship isn't just singing songs. It's an it's, uh, it's, uh, act of, of expressing our reverence, our adoration for something worthy of praise, and that being God. When he um, opened the series, he began talking about the Great Commission and the, the Great Commandment. And uh, the Greatest Commandment, right, it's kind of the marching orders for the church, for us as the body of Christ, right, that we're to be going and making disciples. And, and the verse, um, to go and make disciples, doesn't mean to drop everything, to leave everything to, behind, to run off to another country, although it can mean that. It doesn't, not what the verse means. It means whatever you're doing, as you're going, make disciples, wherever you are whether you're at the grocery store, at work, in the community where you live, or driving down the road, we are to be busy making disciples. <clears throat> and then uh, a couple weeks ago, Kurt talked about the Great Commandment. Uh, sorry, regaining my thoughts here. Um, he talked about the Great Commandment, right, to love others, to love God and to love others. And, and the Great Commandment is, is a bit more personal, right? It's something for each 
one of us individually to be doing, to be loving God with all of our hearts, souls, minds, our strength, everything we have, right? And from that, from that intimate personal relationship with God, the outflowing of that is, is loving others around us, loving our neighbors. And throughout history, we've seen events that have changed the course of history. They've changed the course of peoples and of nations and at times even unraveled entire societies. But through it all, the vision and mission of the church has never changed. We have an unchanging God, and coronavirus hasn't changed anything God's desired for us. And it should be a reminder again that in our ever-changing world, we have a, an unchanging God who has given us an unchanging mission to the world, and that is to love Him and to love others. So today, as we finish out our Now What series, we're going to be looking at serving. We're going to start in Romans 12.1, so you guys can flip over there if you'd like. Romans 12.1, anybody got Bibles? And we don't have any in here, so you guys are going to have to start learning to bring your Bibles with you. And I didn't get slides today. What? Look at there. Let's, I didn't have slides at first service. Let's give Jim a round of applause. <laughs> and you guys thought he just sat back there and did nothing. <laughs> Romans 12.1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Romans 12.1 starts off with a therefore, as my Bible says, and so. And um, I like to make this joke, and I know it's not funny after about the third or fourth time, but I'm going to say it again. Whenever you see a therefore, you must look and see what it is there for. And so if you back back up to verse 11, Paul begins talking about the nation of Israel. And then he moves into the Gentiles, right? That's you and I. That's those of us who are, are not born Jews. And his point being that God has mercy on everyone, that God's grace and mercy was for every person, not just the Jews. Each one of us, and it's because of his kindness that we can experience both his grace and his mercy. It's totally undeserved, and it's absolutely free. The chapter 11 ends with everything coming from God, everything being for God, everything being for his glory. The life itself is evidence of God's grace and mercy. And we have to think about how amazing that is, that each one of us, none of us, deserve life. And not only does God grant us life, but through Christ, because of what He did on our behalf and because of our faith in Him, we can experience life to the fullest. We get a taste today, right now, of what eternal life is going to be like. It's amazing to think about. We don't deserve life, and yet God granted us the fullest life possible. So with all that, Paul says, and so, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice after all God has done for you, after all God do has done through Christ. The least you can do is offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And the, the, the phrase living sacrifice is, is an oxymoron, right? It's uh, two things that seem contradictory and yet somehow are working and cohesive in this sentence. The two opposite, two opposite ideas that uh, when joined to create, together create an effect kind of like alone together, jumbo shrimp, the same difference, bittersweet, the dumbest smart person, and a definite maybe. Those are all um, oxymorons. And you get the point, right? Living sacrifice is two opposite things, two things that shouldn't be together, but somehow when you put them together, there's this effect that something happens. <clears throat> the idea of sacrifice 
this word sacrifice that we see mostly in the Old Testament was something that originated from God. It wasn't man-made. Man didn't come up with it. God did. <clears throat> it was appointed by Him, and it is the only acceptable worship God accepts. It's the only way guilty people can truly worship a holy God is through sacrifice. <clears throat> Some of the sacrifices were tithes, they were drink offerings, they were incense offerings, and then the others were death offerings, right? Blood offerings, where the life of an animal was taken, the blood was offered to God, and the life of the animal was taking, taken. And yet, we hear the word living sacrifice, knowing that the meaning of sacrifice is death, right? The life is removed. The meaning of death is there is no life, and yet a living sacrifice. <clears throat> living. God's referred to as a living God. Christ is referred to as living water, living bread. Paul says in Romans that the spirit and sin both live within us. All these have the meaning or the idea of living, and living not just being existing. It's not just an existence, <clears throat> but it's the idea of action, the idea of purpose and intent. Jesus was our ultimate final sacrifice. He's the perfect definition of a living sacrifice. He died, and yet we know the Bible says He lives. It's what we trust in. So let me ask you, what sacrifices are necessary now? What does God require of us to be declared right before Him? None. You guys got it right. And there's no sacrifice necessary anymore because Christ was our final sacrifice. He was the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. And yet, Paul says to present yourself, a living sacrifice. He says, therefore, after all He's done for you, present yourself a living sacrifice. Present yourself wholly, completely to Him. It's the least that we can do after all He has done for us. So many of you are probably wondering, what does sacrifice have to do with serving? And it has everything to do with serving, as we'll see in a moment. So let's take a moment and talk about sacrifice real quick. Not just the, the meaning from the Old Testament, but what is, it, what is a sacrifice? And I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Which part of a sacrifice belonged to God? You can answer. All of it. So if all of it belonged to God, which part of it was mine if I made the sacrifice? None of it, right? Okay. So we're talking early, early this morning, there was only a handful of people, and they were getting the answers right. <laughs> so when you make a sacrifice, everything that is... That is sacrificed wholly and completely belongs to the one sacrificed to, which would be the God in our instance. So if I'm offering myself as a living sacrifice to God, right, as we've just read, which part of myself belongs to God? And which part belongs to me? There you go, all right. And it's a rhetorical question, but it's just a great reminder that what the word sacrifice means and what it ultimately meant. So, when you present yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice, you're offering every part of yourself, every part of your life to Him. It's no longer yours. Your money is no longer yours. Your job is no longer yours. Your stuff. Any of you guys have a garage full of stuff, a storage unit full of stuff? It's an American thing. Trust me, we lived overseas. And nowhere else in the world do they collect stuff like we do. Your children are no longer yours. I heard that. I know. Many of us have wanted to sacrifice our children. 
your spouse is no longer your own. And for those of you who aren't married, your singleness is not yours. It belongs to God if you are offering yourself a living sacrifice. Your emotions, your thoughts, your body, and one of the things that is the most often hardest for us to, to sacrifice our time. Our time is not our own if we are offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. And a living sacrifice is the only sacrifice God accepts. It's truly the way to worship God. So, if we are presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, if everything that I have and everything that you have, you've offered to the Lord, if it is no longer yours, if you are loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit, then there's one question we have to ask. Are we loving our neighbors as ourselves? And this can be one of the most difficult things to do. People are hard to love. And the whole story of the Bible is a story of an unlovable people being loved by love, a God of love. People are difficult to love. And yet, this commandment to love God and love others, it's two commandments wrapped up in one. It is the greatest commandment. In Galatians, Paul says the greatest commandment is to love others. He leaves out the loving God part. And in 1 John, we're told that if we say we love God, but yet hate somebody, we're liars. Ultimately, loving God means loving your neighbors. Loving God means loving others. Loving others goes hand in hand with loving God. But we have to remember that love, biblical love, is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not supposed to come and go depending on how your day is going. Love is a choice, and love is an action word. It's daily choosing to do something difficult for somebody else. The greatest commandment, as Jesus put it, it was wrapped up in one story, a story of love, a story about serving your neighbor. You remember a couple weeks ago, Kurt preached about love, loving our neighbors, right? It's from Luke chapter 25, verses 25 through 29. And um, I'm going to go back there for a minute because I made my sermon before he preached his, and I was using that verse. So I'm going to use it again, but it's a great illustration of service. And so we're going to go back there for a moment and read Luke 10, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 29. I know you guys don't have your Bibles, but next week it'll be different. Verse 25, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, <clears throat> he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to the inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins 
telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So we see here an expert in religious law was testing Jesus. And Jesus took his own question and flipped it back on himself, onto the man who asked the question. Because he knew it was in the man's heart. The man thought he was an expert. His theology was correct. He knew his Bible inside out. He was well-educated. And yet, there was something in his life that didn't line up. And in most circles, we call that hypocrisy. And the world looks at the church, and the number one thing people who hate the church say is we're hypocrites. This man was a hypocrite. Jesus was saying to him, oh, yeah, you think you know something. You think you're an expert in the law. You think you're so good at reading and understanding the Word of God. Christ says, I am the Word of God, and I can read and understand your heart. Christ saw the attitude of his heart. He saw a lifestyle of a man who claimed to be religious, a lifestyle that dishonored the religion that he so passionately professed to follow. Christ saw through his facade, so he used a parable, a teaching story. Christ used parables a lot. They were, they were created, they were designed to, to speak directly into the life of a person. The, the, all the elements of a parable um, were something that the people totally understood at that moment. It was relevant for the people, and he used this parable to pierce this man's heart. He was using a simple illustration to illustrate a moral and spiritual lesson that this man needed to hear. <clears throat> he used two people that this man totally understood, a Jew... The man that asked the question was a Jew and a Samaritan, somebody hated by this Jewish man, two people who didn't get along, two people who hated each other. He was speaking to a Jewish man, and in telling this parable, he uses the, the Jewish man in the story as the one who would be the victim. Jewish man is the victim. Then he uses a religious, an expert in religious law as the first villain in the story, the man who wouldn't help a fellow Jew who was hurt. Remember, he's speaking to a Jew, and he's speaking to a religious uh, expert in religious law. Then he takes the, a despised man, a Samaritan. The people that, that Jews hated, not only did they hate, they believed that God hated the Jews. And he used this man to become the hero in the story. The Samaritan was the neighbor who cared for the Jewish man. So Jesus answered this man's question, this religious man's question. He answered the question with the one thing he did not want to hear. He spoke into this man's bias, into his prejudice, into the bigotry that had cemented in his heart. He was showing him that love had no limits. He gave him a concrete image that destroyed this man's thoughts about the boundaries of God's mercy and love. Because it's easy to love people that are just like us. It's easy to love people who believe what we believe. It's easy to love people who do the same things we do. <clears throat> but is that true love? Is that God's love? It's interesting that in this parable about love, Jesus never used the word love. He didn't define love. He didn't describe love. 
He talked about love by showing a man serving another man, loving another man by serving him as his neighbor. Earlier I said we're going to define love as an action. It's a choice first, choice to love. It says that the Samaritan saw the man on the road and he had compassion on him. He had Jewish, a Samaritan man had compassion on a Jewish man, something unheard of in that culture. Culturally, he should have hated the man. He should have been the one that crossed over on the other side and avoided the Jew at all costs, the one he should have been despising. But we know that love, God's love, is not that way. And God's love is expressed through action. The Samaritan didn't just have compassion, but he acted. He cleansed the man's wounds. He took olive oil and wine, things, precious commodities in that day. And he took the time to touch a man that he should never have touched. The Jews would never have touched a Samaritan, and yet the Samaritan reached out and touched this man and cleansed his wounds for him, bandaged them. Then he took his own transportation, and he loaded the man up, put him on his own transportation, and took him to a safe place, an inn. And then, so many times, I know I've read over this lots of times and, and, and ignored the fact that he stayed the night with the man. He stayed there and cared for him all night. And then when he woke up in the morning, he left money at the inn for this man to continue to be cared for. He used his own money, he used his own possessions, and his time to love this Jewish man, to serve this neighbor who none of them would have called a neighbor. Love is expressed through service, and service oftentimes means sacrifice. We know when we look back at the, the death of Christ, we can see love in action. Love wasn't just a word. It wasn't just a description. It wasn't just something talked about, but we see God step out of time or step out of heaven into time to become a man to save you and I. His love became an action, and that action meant sacrifice. Serving others is a sacrifice. And we do that because ultimately when we serve others, we're serving God. Romans 12, 1 says to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. If we are a living sacrifice to God, should we not be a living sacrifice to our neighbors, to those around us? If we truly offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, if we have given everything we have to Him, then nothing of it, none of it belongs to us, it belongs to God. And if it's God's, then it's ultimately for the benefit of others. Your job that you've worked so hard for, it doesn't belong to you. It's for the benefit of others. Your money, your possessions, they're for the benefit of others. And most importantly, your time should be for the benefit of others. You got to love at the end of the story. Jesus says, go and do the same. He left the man with a very simple takeaway. Go and do this thing that I just explained to you. Go and do the same. A couple weeks ago, Kurt talked about identifying your neighbor. Right? You guys remember that? His challenge was to, to figure out who your neighbor was going to be. And if you take Jesus' parable, he didn't mean for you to go out and find a person that's easy to love. He wanted you to find that person that is most despised, 
to go and do the same. Not just to find somebody that's fun to spend time with, not just a person that's like you, that thinks like you, that believes like you, but somebody who is most hated and least loved. I hope you guys took that to heart. I hope you actually thought through who is it that I would most likely walk away from. You ever seen somebody coming towards you or seen somebody on a street corner and crossed the street and gone on the other side so you didn't have to interact? That guy's going to talk to me. I'm going to turn around and go the other way. What kind of person was it? Was it somebody just like you? Was it a homeless guy, 20-year-old guy that doesn't want to have a job but wants to beg on the street corner? Was it a member of the LGBT community? Somebody who was created in the image of God? Somebody who Christ died for? Maybe it's a member of the Black Lives Matter movement. It's all over the news. Would you avoid them if you saw them on the street? Are those the type of neighbors you've picked to become the neighbor that you need to love and ultimately meaning serve? Those people who are most marginalized by the church, those are the ones we should be reaching out to. Those are our true neighbors. The church is really good at marginalizing people, people that don't think like us, people that don't act like us, people who seem to do the very opposite of what the Bible says, and yet God loves them. They were created in His image, and He desires for every one of them to be in heaven, to spend eternity with Him. Oftentimes, we feel justified walking away from them, walking away from those type of people, not helping because we can justify it right here, right? The Bible says, don't do that, don't do this. And yet we forget our own sins and our own past and the things that God forgave us for. We were totally unlovable when Christ came and chose to love us when we were unlovable. When we were in the midst of the worst sin, Christ came and loved us. And we should do no less for the people around us. So after identifying our neighbors... After picking those people that we least desire to love, we must remember that Christ didn't define love as an emotion, as a feeling. He defined love as an action, as a sacrifice. He defined it in a way that we must give up something of ourselves for the benefit of others. True love is expressed through service. We cannot truly love God without loving our neighbors. And we cannot serve God without serving our neighbors. And as Christ said, go and do the same. And that's my challenge for you guys this week. Don't just identify somebody, but serve them. By serving them, you're loving them. By loving them, you're showing them God's love. And by showing them God's love, you're fulfilling the greatest commandment. Father, we just thank you that while we were unlovable, you chose to love us. And because we have experienced your love, Father, we know how to love others. We thank you that as we draw close to you, as you work in our hearts and in our minds, Father, that we can become loving people to our neighbors, to those in our community, to those that feel rejected and unloved by you, to those who we say you hate. Father, we know you love them and you desire for us to love them too. Please, would you help us to be your hands and feet right here in this community, right here in this valley, whether we're at work, at home, in our neighborhoods, at the gym, 
Father, help us to be Christ to our community. In Jesus' name, amen.